Oh, hello. Hello, friends. Merry Christmas. I know um, Pastor Kyle did uh, welcomes, but I'd like to do that as well. Merry Christmas to those who are at the Short North joining us today. And Merry Christmas to those who are at Polaris. Merry Christmas to you here at Hilliard. If you're watching online or on television, Merry Christmas. This is the season when our Lord Jesus came to redeem us. Praise God. And I wonder if all of us together could give a loud Merry Christmas to those who are joining us from behind bars across the country. Merry Christmas to you. We as a church family celebrate Christmas with you. Merry Christmas to each of you. We're talking about heaven on earth, and heaven is a place, of course, but it's not so much the place as it is a person. Right? The key about heaven is not this place without Jesus. The key about heaven is Jesus in this place. And God and his throne are what make heaven heaven. Heaven is the fixed dwelling place of the living God. It's the person and presence of Jesus that makes heaven heaven. And it's the person and presence of Jesus that makes heaven full. So our motto here, our thrust here at Rock City is making heaven full. That's Jesus' work. He just includes us in his work. And so we celebrate Jesus. Him coming was heaven coming to earth. Amen. And him being here in us is what makes life full. Here's what the Lord himself says about heaven from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Anybody think the heavens must be pretty big already? Heaven must be a big place. Picture God in a recliner up there on his throne across all of the heavens. He's got earth as his footstool. Could you build a temple as good as that? Could you build such a resting place for me? How big the Lord must be if heavens, if the heavens are his throne. What an incredible place that we get to spend eternity with him. How big is the one to whom our prayers go? Before we pray this morning and, and uh, welcome him and thank him for his presence, let's talk about the size of the Lord and how big he is because we're just about to approach him in prayer in just a minute. He must be quite big if heavens are his throne. Mary was a worshiper of God. We're going to talk about Mary and what we can learn from her life Today, she was a worshiper of God as she knew him in the Old Testament. She knew the amazing prayers that were answered in amazing stories by the people who lived before her. She saw the Lord's power and his faithfulness in the stories she'd been told in the Old Testament. She knew he could part the sea. She knew he could lead his people by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. She knew he could wipe out enemy armies without any other power except for his voice. She knew that God was big and powerful. Even just his unseen hand was powerful. And she would have known the story of Job. Maybe you know the story of Job as well. He has a, his own book in the Bible. It's, it's not Job, I promise. It's Job. And he has his own story, and the story of Job is, one, is a man who is under the favor of God. He's growing, his family is growing, his wealth is growing. He's quite influential, and then Satan comes and attacks Job. He loses his wealth, he loses his children. Life gets so bad, his wife's advice to him is to just curse God and die, end it all. 
And then Satan attacks his physical body as well, and he's in a great deal of pain. He's lost everything, and he cries out to God and says, Lord, I thought you were big. I thought you were big enough to handle all of this mess in my life. My life is unraveling. It's falling apart. Where are you? And so Job begins to bring these sort of accusations about God. God, why aren't you showing up in this time of my trouble, in this time of my need? And after some period of time of Job saying that to the Lord, Job chapter 38 says, the Lord responds. Now, before I read to you the Lord's response or even just part of his response, have you ever been in a debate with someone or maybe even an argument with someone and you knew early on you were losing? Anybody been there? And you knew you should just yield the point and get on, but they want to make the point that they have all the cards in their hands and you're just going to sit there. And at what point, by the way, do you interrupt God? Like if he's got something to say to you, are you just going to say, okay, okay, I yield? As you think through what Job is hearing from the Lord, think about the size of the Lord. This is the Lord describing who he is and all the power and the authority that he has. And he says this to Job in the middle of Job's complaints to him. Job chapter 38. While I read it, think about this question. At what point would you just concede And now finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, Job, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Anybody think this is going to go poorly for Job? (laughs) Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Oh, boy. Where were you, Job, when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on the earth's size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone of the earth? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. Tell me, Joe. Who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped the ocean in soft clouds. I tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it. We call those shorelines. The Lord calls it his playpen for the ocean. A strong playpen so it couldn't run loose. And I said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this space. And Job, have you ever ordered the morning to get up and told Don to go to work? Because I do. Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things? Job, explored the labyrinth caves of deep oceans. Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? Or do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. Anybody willing to concede at this point? Do you know where light comes from, Job? Where the darkness lives? So you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Have you ever traveled to where snow was made, seen the vault where hail is stockpiled? The arsenals of hail and snow that I keep in readiness for, tru- for times of trouble and battle and war. Can you find your way to where lightning is launched or the place to which the wind blows? Job, who do you suppose carves canyons? from the downpours of rain and charts the routes 
of thunderstorms that bring water to unvisited fields, to deserts where no one even lays their eyes on. I drench the useless wasteland so that they're carpeted with wildflowers and grass. And who do you think is the father of rain and dew and the mother of ice and frost? You don't for a minute imagine that these marvels of weather just happened, do you? I love that statement. You don't think all this just happened, do you? You do realize, Job, I put all this together, don't you? Can you get, attention of, get the attention of the clouds? Commission a rain shower? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Does anyone know enough to number all the clouds or tip over the rain barrels of heaven? Job, can you teach the lioness to stalk her prey and satisfy the appetite of her cubs? God then confronted Job directly. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges, Job? What would you say next? <laughs> Job answered, I'm speechless in awe. Words fail me. Father, I should never have opened my mouth. I talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the God of the universe. You hold it all. I believe that you're that big, Lord. I believe it. Let's start with prayer that in that way this morning. So as I'm praying, you know that God can hear us all at the same time. He is big enough for that. Are you convinced that he's big enough? So as I pray, would you welcome him into your life as well, the stirring of the spirit in each of us? Father, we, we actually believe all that about you and, and much more. You, you hold it all. You are larger than we could ever imagine or think. We don't know the answer to all those questions, but you do. You've set it all in place, the boundaries of the universe. You alone know the heavens that hold you. You alone know. We worship you, Father. You are King and Lord and all-powerful and all-glorious. And you came here to visit us. We marvel at you, Father. We marvel that you would give us any attention at all, but that you would love us so much. And, and Father, we love being loved by you. So counting on your presence here today, would you meet us in this room, wherever we are, would you meet us and move us to you in the powerful, personal name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe we could all agree this morning by saying, okay, 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 Lord, I get it that you're powerful and larger than anything I can ever imagine. But this Christmas, we also get to learn something else. He's not just big and large, but he came to be very small. The all-powerful God has also apparently very small. Mary knew that God is big. She knew that God is big, but in the midst of her uncertain life, life was about to change. She was just about to walk into major upheavals. In the midst of her uncertain life, in the midst of significant uncertainty, she was about to learn that God is also very small. I know that maybe sounds a bit sacrilegious. We've all agreed that God is a big God, but it's right to also say that he's also 
very small. And Christmas is a time that highlights the fact that God has the ability to be both. In fact, this sentence struck me for the last couple weeks as I was preparing for this. Can God be both divine infinite and dependent infant? And how does that work? Can he be both divine infinite and dependent infant at the same time? Apparently, the, the answer to that is yes, and it has real implications for my life and for yours. God is big enough to love everyone, to hear from all of us simultaneously, but he's also small enough to know and care for even me and even you. The psalmist David put it this way in Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You're huge. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold. Even through children, strongholds against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, Lord, and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you would care for even me? How majestic is your name, Lord? Really, you know mine too? Like you, the God of the universe, you know my name? In Mary's life and in our lives, God is about to do something so big through someone so small. God's answer for uncertainty, which we're going to talk about Mary's uncertainty here in her journey with the birth of Jesus. God's answer for uncertainty is pretty much always the same. His answer is intimacy. Intimacy is a deep personal connection, a loving relationship that he is leading to with us. He's reaching out to us to be intimate with him Listen for God's intimacy with Mary, even as I read here in just a second some more verses about her. Let's see if we can find ourselves in Mary's story. The angel's going to show up in her room and say, Hail, favored one, greetings. You have found favor with God, Mary. She's going to be puzzled about the greeting. Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The fact that you found favor with God, Mary, means he knows you. That's intimate. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. Intimacy. The Lord Jesus will come live inside you. Intimacy. It's not that I'm not calling you to uncertainty, but with this uncertainty, I'm going to bring you myself. Your body, Mary, is about to contain all power and glory and the one who loves more than anyone else ever could. That's incredible. If I'm Mary, I have six questions for the Lord. You might think of some other ones, but as I look at what God invited her into, there are six questions I'm quite sure she would have asked that I ask him sometimes, Sue, as well. See what you think. When the angel shows up, I think Mary's first thought might have been, but what will people think, Lord? My reputation, 
Like I've worked on my reputation all of these years. What will people think? I'm going to be pregnant outside of marriage. I'm engaged to a guy. We're not together physically. So what are people going to think? What will Joseph think? What will my parents think? Lord, this is quite a request that I'm going to be carrying your child outside of being married. What about my reputation? What will Joseph think? What will my parents think? And, of course, God sends an angel to Joseph, and the angel says, Joseph, the baby inside Mary is mine. So he's already ahead of her. He's got her. If it's not about your uh, reputation that you're dealing with uncertainty right now, maybe the second question for Mary fits well with you. Lord, will anybody else believe it? Will anybody else believe what the Lord is doing? Like, he might be calling you to do something in your life that you're not quite sure of yet. And if you're going to go try to explain it to somebody else, they're going to think you're nuts. Like, who's going to believe that there was a supernatural visitation from an angel? Nobody else heard it but you, right, Mary? And now you're pregnant and you're having, and he's the son of God. You see, the Holy Spirit came on me and, and the baby inside me, he's God Almighty. Who's going to buy that? The Lord just invited her into uncertainty, this uncertainty, this sense of aloneness. Will anybody get it? Is it just me, Lord? Anybody believe my story? Wait, wait till you see what God does with that, because it's incredible with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Listen for it as we read this passage in a minute. Imagine all the uncertainty that Mary is experiencing. Her life is being turned upside down beautifully. Listen for intimacy in the midst of uncertainty in Luke chapter 1. Listen for intimacy in the midst of uncertainty. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin to be married, to, a pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, that's intimacy, the Lord is with you, there it is. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting could this be? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God, there it is. You will conceive and give birth to a son, you are to call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In case you missed it, there it is again. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and, and she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month, way too old to have children, but she's pregnant too. She'll understand, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. And the angel left her. Here's how 
a different version. The Living Bible says it. Mary said, I am the Lord's, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. What a great response. I know what you've just invited me into is uncertainty, but I hear that you're going to be with me. I am your servant. I will do whatever you want. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's and, and, uh, home and greeted Elizabeth, now let me set this up before I keep reading. Picture Mary walking toward Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, and she's not sure how they're going to respond. Joseph didn't take the news at first very well. He was going to divorce her quietly. Her parents, they don't buy it. So she's now walking to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house thinking, ah, How's this going to go? Are they going to believe me? Will anybody believe me? Before she even brings it up, check out what the Lord does. It's just like him. She hurried to the town country of Judea, the hill country of Judea, when she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth is pregnant with a baby, John the Baptist. When John the Baptist in the womb has the sense that Mary with Jesus in her womb walks in, he leaps for joy. Now, if you're wondering, that's about the best proof there is that babies in the womb are alive and well. Babies in the womb are alive and well. John the Baptist, by the Spirit, in him, in the womb, leaps for joy because Jesus just walked in the room, in the womb of Mary. In the womb, alive and well. Very clear. The baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and a loud voice before Mary said anything else. Elizabeth says this, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Who brought up the pregnancy? Not Mary, Elizabeth. Holy Spirit told Elizabeth, Mary's pregnant, he's my son. Elizabeth says, the baby in your womb. How much did, did Mary need to hear that in her uncertainty? Just these intimate touches from the Lord. It's just like him. It's just like him. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord, what the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Intimacy in the midst of uncertainty. Who will believe me? Go see Elizabeth. And Zachariah, I've already ahead of you, Mary. I got you. I'm walking this out with you. Lord, whatever you're doing, Mary says, which in a big way is redeeming mankind, he's also doing it in a small way through a baby inside of her womb. She says, I'm in. Your life and my life will be filled with uncertainty. You already know that. I'm not telling you something that you don't know. But God offers this intimate, personal connection with us in the midst of this calling to uncertainty that's powerful and incredible. A few more questions for Mary. The third one that came to mind for me was, well, Lord, now that I've said yes, everything from now on is going to be smooth, right? 
Now, those of you who walk for a, a, with the Lord together for a while, we're going to answer that in unison in just a second. Now that I've given my life to you, Lord, and I've said yes to what you've called me to do, everything's going to be smooth from here on, right? No. Uh. I would call that the, uh, the uncertainty about the future. We're not sure what the future holds for you. Mary wasn't really sure what the future held for her. You might not be sure what the future holds for you, but you can be sure that the one who holds it is for you. See, Jesus is our sureness. Like the person of Jesus is our sureness in the midst of of uncertainty. He's present. You are spirit-filled if you walk with Jesus. He is your sureness. Fourth question I would ask if I were Mary is, maybe you've asked this of the Lord. I've asked this. Sometimes I'm a little hesitant to ask it, but when I'm honest with the Lord, sometimes I just say it out loud. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. And you might say, well, you probably shouldn't say that to the Lord, Todd. And you'd be right. You'd be right. Every once in a while, I find myself saying, really, Lord? Really? Really, Lord, a census, a census, because I'm very pregnant, and it's a, it's a hundred-mile journey, 70 miles as the crow flies, but a hundred-mile journey. She might be able to cover 20 miles in a day walking or riding a donkey or on an ox cart on cobblestone roads, but it isn't going to be smooth. I can see Mary looking at the Lord and saying, really, Lord, you want me to go where? Sometimes this is life in the Spirit, friends. If you're going to walk with Jesus and be led by the Spirit, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to say, really, Lord, you want me to go where? Okay. Okay. It's the uncertainty of change and inconvenience. Welcome to life in the Holy Spirit. Fifth question I think Mary might ask again out of the same idea. Really, Lord, a cave and a manger? Like I thought he was the king. Isn't he going to be the king of all the kings? You said every knee will bow. You said he's going to sit on David's throne. You want him born in a cave, in a manger? Anybody here ever disagree with God? And you know this, if you disagree with God, who's right? <laughs> like there are times when I disagree with him and I'm like, I know you're right, I just can't see it. That'd be Mary and Joseph here. She travels for days, she's just looking for an inn. Could you get me a bed, Joseph? Uh, I got you a cave. Lord, Lord, do you want your son to be born in a cave? God's ways are not our ways, friends. Have you figured that out yet? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, I'm not sure what you're thinking. This isn't how I would introduce the king to the world if I were you. Well, you're not me. I love God's intimate answer to Mary in those really Lord questions. Because she's the first person to ever see and hold the living God. 
She's the first person to ever see and hold the living God. In her hands is the king of the universe. The, the one we described with all of his size and all of his glory is now right here. She's going to kiss the lips of the living God. Ask her if the uncertainty was overshadowed by the intimacy. It's not a hard question for Mary at this point, is it? Jesus is in her hands. She's holding and looking at the glory of God. And that's no small thing. Uh, Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 33, I don't know if you know the story of Moses, he walked with the Lord all the years of his life and walked pretty intimately with God and kind of kept in step with God, was a friend of God's. And toward the end of his life, he said, Lord, I've gotten to do so much with you. I'd very much like to see you. Like I've heard from you and I've walked with you, but could I, could I see you in all of your glory? Exodus 33 says this. Then Moses said, now show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord said, I'll tell you what, Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one will see me and live. And so Moses went into the cleft of a rock, into the crevice of a rock, and the Lord actually came and put his hand over the rock to protect Moses from the glory of God. And then God passed by and moved his hand so that Moses could see the trail of his glory. That's how glorious God is. No, Moses, you can't see my face and live. I'll protect you while I pass by. And who is it in Mary's hands? The living God. She's holding him. The one that she just delivered will soon deliver her. She's kissing the face of God. And by the way, in case you're wondering if it's the fullness, check this out from Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Who is it that Mary's holding? God Almighty. In all of his fullness, he's that small. See, our God is just not big and powerful. He's also small and intimate and can know you at the depths of your being even better than you know yourself. Not only is he big, but he's small. He is your sureness in the midst of your uncertainty, even today. Sixth question for Mary. Father, what should we do? The government seems to be moving against us. Herod is seeking to kill the child. What should we do, Lord? The government is against us. We're apparently on the wrong side of the governing officials in the modern day. Well, listen, this is not new, friends. If you read the scripture, you will see that Christians and followers of God were often on the other side of the government. And guess what's happening in our lives these days? I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture is in a free fall. We're in a moral collapse. And uh, we're, it's killing the culture, it's killing people in the culture, and now the, the stand of Christ, 
the biblical stand of Christianity is, is out. The government is increasingly moving against us. That's not new. Ask Mary and Joseph with Herod. He's actually trying to kill their son. What should we do then? I liken it to my basketball days. In high school, I played basketball. And, and uh, if you're from a small town, I no way do I want to speak poorly of your small town. So take this for what it is. Every once in a while, we'd play, teams against, uh, play games against teams from small towns. And the officials were also from that small town. You know what I'm saying? And so you would go and play and do your best, and you were playing against the other five players, but you were also playing against the other two officials. We call that being homered. And it was very difficult to win because the officials were against you. Well, guess what? That's not new historically for the people of God. We're just trying to get used to it here. What do you do when the culture seems to be moving against you and, and the governing officials are against you, you feel like a visiting team instead of the home team. It's still the same answer. In the midst of uncertainty, God is intimate and personal with us. He has us. True or false, Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth, including this day. All authority in heaven and on earth today resides in Jesus himself. And he already has us ahead of time, too. Last week, you heard from chat, Pastor Chad about three wise men. What were the three gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so Herod's going to attack this little village of Bethlehem. The angel comes ahead of time and says, Joseph, get up. Go to Bethlehem. I know you don't speak the language. I know you won't have a job. I sent you gold, frankincense, and myrrh, remember? I've got you. I've got you. You see, the Lord already knows what's happening culturally. He already knows what's happening in your life. He's ahead of us in the spaces we're walking into. In the midst of our uncertainty, he is our assurance and our sureness. His name is Jesus. Our God fits us into his big story and into his small story as well. As I was preparing for this message, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I've read the passages of Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 since I was a kid. Like, there are no new verses. Have you noticed? Like, the story hasn't changed. Every year I look for the little drummer boy and he's not there. I like him, but he's not there. I look for him. And so this year I'm like, Lord, would you uh, teach me again about Mary? Would you transform my own life as I prepare for this message. And I've read this passage over and over, and I've never seen this before. I don't know why. Maybe I just wasn't ready. Here's what I saw uniquely this year for me. In many ways, the story of Jesus with Mary is like the story of Jesus with you and me. Let me see if I can prove that to you. The angel showed up and said, hail, favored one. Guess what the Lord says to you? You are my favored ones. I love you. I've come and called you by name. You have amazing similarities with Mary. You are also his favored ones. Not only that, Mary got to be possessed by the living God in her womb. And uniquely, you get the same thing, not in your womb, but the same presence. Check this out from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 
It says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize, I love this, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Who? The same Jesus that was in Mary's womb has taken up residence where? Not only are you favored by God, but he has taken up residence in your life. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? When you invite him in, the answer is yes. And he takes up residence in my life and your life. Same verse from Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ himself lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, intimacy, and gave himself up for me personally. Christ lives in you. Not only has Jesus made us his dwelling place, but we are filled with the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary. Not only are you his dwelling place, but the same Holy Spirit that came to overshadow Mary also lives in you and in me. Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through his spirit, the same Holy Spirit that came on Mary lives in me and lives in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body, your physical body, just like Mary's was the physical dwelling place of Almighty God, your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Let me say it this way to you, the same thing in Gabriel's tongue a little bit differently. Greetings, favored ones. Greetings. The Lord is with you. The Lord is in you, and the Lord is for you. The living God, the big one, the one who is all glorious and all powerful, has taken up residence here by your invitation. He knows you by name. He knows your challenges. He knows your troubles. He knows your uncertainties. He's big enough to solve them all and small enough to care deeply about you. That intimacy begins with an invitation. He's inviting you to know him and be known by him. He's inviting you to love him and be loved by him. This Christmas, why not say, I, I believe you're that big. Lord, I'm struck by the fact that you're that small and that you've called me by name and that you love me personally and intimately. I love you too. Like Job, we've learned that God is big enough. Like Mary, we need to learn that he's small enough as well and intimate. This week, my wife and I got to put our grandkids to bed. They, the parents were uh, el elsewhere, and so we got to go over and, and hang out with them through the evening and then put them to bed. And I will say this, if you're a young parent, bedtime for you is like, I need to get the kids to bed. I'm exhausted. When you're a grandparent, you let it drag out as long as you want. It's great. It's great. We really enjoyed the time with them, and they wanted to find more ways to stay awake longer, and we loved that. So we did, and 
And we laid down, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Before we went to sleep, we sang a few songs, and, and we asked our four-year-old grandchild if he'd like to pray. He summarized this whole message in two sentences. So you might say, well, Ty, why don't you just say that and let us go early? Okay, okay. <laughs> but in two sentences, he said this in his prayer, and I just sat there having worked on this message and thought, there it is, Lord. That's it. That's it. He said this, dear God, you are a big God, and I love you. He gets it at age four. Praise God. Jesus is your sureness in the midst of uncertainty. Jesus himself. That's why he came. That's why he's taken up his own dwelling in your life. If you just invite him in. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that he's all so small. I'd like to, when we pray, you can invite him into your place as well. He wants to take up that dwelling place within you. Let's pray. Father, for those who are here, who are hearing this for the first time, that you are God of all things, we, we together worship you for your power and your glory and your majesty. We honor you and we worship you, King of all, greater than we could ever understand. And yet you sent Jesus into the womb, into the arms of humanity to love us into loving you. Lord, I'm asking that you would stir in hearts of folks who are looking for this kind of intimacy in the midst of their uncertainty. If that's you today, would you just say, Lord, I, I worship you as being big and I, I'd like to know you as being small. I'm gonna repent. That means turn away. I'm gonna turn away from my old self, Father. Would you open my eyes, open my life, change my heart, and draw me to you. Change my heart, Father. My life is yours. I'd like to know you personally and intimately, and I welcome you into my life. Father, we all together worship you. You are glorious, powerful, huge, and small. And we come to you in the name of Jesus, the one seated on your right hand, right now. Oh, how you love us, Jesus. Oh, how you love us. We love you too. We love you too. So, Father, we come to you in that name, Jesus. Powerful, personal, precious Jesus. Amen.